this week on Hope for the Broken. In many ways in our culture and our times, we have this tendency to shift where our hope lies. Beloved, hope cannot be found in things that are fleeting. Hope can only be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what we know about this is regardless of what happens in our culture, Jesus is on his throne. And we should draw our hope not from the things of this world, but from the things of God. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called The Hope of Christmas. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part two titled, A Promise Fulfilled. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 3 as we launch a new teaching series here this morning entitled The Hope of Christmas. You know, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. I'm sure there were many of you that would echo the very same thing. But did you know that Christmas isn't always everyone's favorite time of the year? Many times Christmas reminds them of loss or being alone or difficult seasons or that things are there and circumstances in their life are just not quite right. But there is hope. Even in the midst of the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of our culture, there is hope at Christmas. And so the point of this series is for us to talk about the things by which we can have hope instilled in us. Christmas is incredible. It is the testimony of God coming to dwell in flesh, of God living with us. And there are many things that as a result of that, where we can have hope, we can be filled with hope. And so I want to encourage you to do something this Christmas season. I want you to invite your friends, your family, your coworker to come and join you to be a part of this teaching series that they might receive the hope of Christmas. In fact, on your way in, uh, in a seat, at least where you're in or maybe nearby you, there's a card that looks something like this. And uh, it's a place where you could take notes from the sermon on the back. But at the bottom, there's a perforated section there. It's a business card. It's an invite card. It's an opportunity for you to put that in the hands of a, of a friend, a neighbor, or a coworker, and invite them to be a part of this teaching series. But there's also information on there about our Christmas Eve candlelight services, which is my favorite service of the entire year. And, uh, you know, research tells us that people are most open to an invitation to church two times a year. Can you guess what t- two times of year that is? Easter and Christmas. And so let's take advantage of that opportunity. You know, some people are just looking for an invitation to come to church. Let's be that invitation to them this Christmas season. And I'm, I'm fired up about this teaching series. H- have you ever made a promise that you knew if you had to make good on, it would be extremely challenging? I can remember when our kids were little, we would make promises all the time, you know, just to try to get them to behave. (laughs) You know, we would make all kinds of promises. We'd promise them the world only for them to actually do their end of the bargain and us go, "Uh uh-oh, 
What are we going to do about this now, right? Uh, and so we often make promises that we know are extremely difficult for, to, for us to fulfill. Well, God is not like that. God, when He makes a promise, it's more than just a promise. It's a certainty. In fact, all of Scripture is filled with promises from God. Many of those promises that he has mentioned in the pages of the Old Testament, he fulfilled. And he fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, as we're going to discover here today. But because God makes promises, and because he is God, it is outside of his character to lie. And so therefore, when God says something, we could take it to the bank. It's an absolute certainty, and this fills us with hope. And so we're going to begin our teaching series today by looking at the very first Christmas promise. Now you may say, wait a minute, Christmas is in the book of Genesis? Oh yeah, Christmas is in Genesis. And in fact, Christmas is all throughout the pages of the New Testament, or the Old Testament as we're going to see here today. And so we're going to look at the promise made, we're going to look at misplaced hope, and then we're going to look at a future promise. And that will serve as our outline here this morning. So let's begin by looking at the promise made. In the opening scenes of creation, God makes a promise. God promised to provide redemption and salvation. And this has been God's plan A from before the beginning of time. Did you know Christmas was always a part of God's plan? I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we think in Genesis, uh uh-oh, Adam and Eve sinned and this threw a kink into God's plans and he had to come up with plan B. No. Jesus was always God's plan A. And God promised in the Garden of Eden a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. And Christmas lies deep in the pages of the Old Testament writings. In fact, everything in Jesus' life and ministry was shaped by two millennia of predictions. So Christmas was in the mind of God long before he spoke creation into existence. And the theme of Scripture tells and retells the Christmas story. Everything in the Old Testament is building and anticipating the coming of the Messiah, which we know to be Jesus. And everything in the New Testament points back to Jesus. And so the theme of Christmas in many ways, or the theme of Scripture in many ways is, is Christmas. And, and because of that truth, hope and peace and blessings are wrapped up in the promise God made in the promise of Christmas. And so I want to show you five promises made in the Old Testament that pertain to Christmas. Next week, we're going to look at specific ways in which Jesus' birth fulfilled many of the messianic prophecies that were foretold thousands and hundreds of years before his birth. But today we're focusing on the general promise God made about Christmas. And so I want to look at the first promise was a promise made in the garden. The first promise of Christmas God spoke of was in the Garden of Eden. You know the story. God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis chapter 1 builds to this pinnacle point of creation, that being the moment in which God made mankind his most prized creation. That's Genesis 1. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we begin to drill down into the details of exactly how Adam was made and fashioned, and and the fact that he was alone, and that God provided a helper in in the creation of Eve, and, and performed the very first wedding ceremony, and brought Eve to Adam. 
Then they dwelled and they lived in what was the perfection of the Garden of Eden. Then in Genesis chapter 3, just moments, really, after creation, we have the fall of man. This is where Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. God had given them one command, one command to keep. You can eat of any fruit from any tree in the garden except for one and enter the serpent. Enter Satan taking the form of a serpent to tempt Eve who took of the fruit only to give to Adam who also took of the fruit. And from that moment on, sin and destruction entered into God's perfect design. What you and I experience in this broken world is a result of the perfection that was broken in the Garden of Eden. And in that moment, when God came walking through the garden in the cool of the day, Scripture says that He called on Adam. And He held Adam responsible. And He dealt out curses there in the Garden of Eden. He turned first to the serpent, and then to Adam, and then to Eve, as He dealt out significant curses. But in the midst of these curses that God is speaking to these three different people, God provides a promise. And the promise that he provides in the midst of these curses curses is the promise of Christmas. I want us to look at it together. The the first promise of Christmas, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. This is God dealing out curses to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, being the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head, or some translations say crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, most scholars believe this to be the very first messianic prophecy, the foretelling of a coming Messiah, an anointed one. We know that Messiah to be the Lord Jesus. So Genesis 3 being the first messianic prophecy, then is the first promise of Christmas. It's what is called the proto-evangelion. And what that means is proto being first, evangelion being good news. So the very first good news comes in the midst of dealing out curses. And the good news is about one that is to come, a Messiah, a Savior of the world, one who would redeem the world. The first good news of great joy was not echoed by angels. It was promised by God himself in the Garden of Eden. Most scholars believe somewhere around 4,000 B.C. that happened. Fast forward 2,000 years, around 2,000 B.C., and God continued the foretelling of the promise of a coming Messiah and a promise made to Abraham. That's point number two, a promise made to Abraham. Flip over to Genesis chapter 22. There you are in Genesis chapter 3. You can turn over to Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. This is God speaking to Abraham continuing his promise of a coming Savior, the promise of Christmas. And this is what God says to Abraham. And an angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, in other words, I have promised, declares the Lord, 
Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offering, offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And check this out, verse 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now the context of this this promise being uttered here to Abraham is when Abraham was asked by God to take his only son Isaac, that God, the son that God had promised, up on the mountain and sacrifice him. But you remember the story. God provided a scapegoat, a ram in the thicket that took the place of his son Isaac. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus becoming the sacrificial lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so there you have this messianic prophecy, this messianic foreshadowing. And what he says is he says, your offspring shall be that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, how do we know that in Jesus, all the nations of the earth are blessed? Well, you remember the angels appearing to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night, said to them, behold, I bring you good news of great joy for today, born in this town of David, a savior is born to you. And this is good news of great joy to who? All the people. The coming of Jesus was a blessing for all people, a fulfillment of a promise made in the garden and the fulfillment of a promise made to Abraham. Then in 1400 BC, the promise of Christmas was made again to Moses. Promise made to Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, God says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. For I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, Jesus is often referred to in the scriptures as a prophet, a priest, and the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the raising up of a prophet and the promise made to Moses is the raising up of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And the Old Testament is full of what is called typology. A type is a symbol, a foreshadowing of something that is to come or even someone that is to come. Did you know Moses is a type of Christ? Moses is not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. He is not Jesus. But he is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Think about the ways in which Moses and Jesus' life parallel. When Moses was born, guess what happened? A, a king, Pharaoh, had issued a decree of the Hebrews that the firstborn male shall be executed. Well, do you remember at Jesus' birth when the three wise men came and talked to King Herod? Remember the proclamation, the decree that Herod made as a result of a coming Messiah? Was that all males two years and under were to be executed. You see the similarities, the parallels between Moses and Jesus. Moses did what? Moses led God's people out of slavery, out of bondage from Egypt. There was a fleeing from Egypt. 
Well, Jesus led us as our Savior out of the bondage of sin and death and the grave and of shame. You also think about how uh, there was a rising up of Egypt and then Moses fleeing from Egypt. Well, did you know that Jesus, whenever they fled the decree issued by King Herod, where did they go? They went to Egypt. And then after the time had passed, they returned back from Egypt. And so you see the parallelism. You see the typology that is in Moses. And so we have the promise made in the garden, the promise made to Abraham, and the promise made to Moses. And then in 1000 BC, a promise is made to David, King David. And in Psalm chapter 89, verses 3 and 4, we see this exact promise that is made to David. It is a promise that is a precursor to Jesus. Look at it with me, verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 89. It says, you have said, I have made a covenant. In other words, I made a promise with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever. And I will build your throne for all generations. Like with Abraham, Jesus' genealogy is traced through the line of King David. So how do we know that? Well, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the very first sentence of the gospel account says this, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, God's promise of a Savior was that it was to come from the line of Abraham through the line of David, and Jesus fulfilled exactly that. So we've seen the promise foretold in the garden. We've seen that the promise was spoken to Abraham and to Moses and then to David. And then between 750 B.C. and 430 B.C., the promise of Christmas was spoken through the prophets. Promise made through the prophets. In the Old Testament, you have the division of the prophetic books. They're the last section of books in the Old Testament. And they're further divided in what is called the major prophets and the minor prophets. This has nothing, this delineation has nothing to do with the severity or the impact by which the message came. It has everything to do with the length of their books. And so when you look at the major prophets, they're the longer books. When you look at the minor prophets, they're the shorter books. And so in all throughout all the prophets, both major and minor, the promise of Jesus was made. I want to show you a few of those promises. First, Jeremiah 31, 31, the prophet said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. New covenant. Now, that's interesting. You remember when Jesus was gathered with his disciples in the upper room the night before he was crucified? He instituted what we know to be the Lord's Supper. You remember what he said when it came to the cup? That the cup was symbolic of his blood that would forge what? A new covenant. And so this, this promise of old, spoken through the Old Testament prophets, was fulfilled in Jesus, the establishment of this new covenant. Also in Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 and 15, the promise of Christmas continues to be announced. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the what? The promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch 
to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, in my translation, the word branch is capitalized. Do you see that? That's in reference to a person. It's capitalized in reference to a person. It is the Messiah who we know to be the Lord Jesus. And the fulfillment of the promise that God is going to make is that it's going to come through David. His branch is going to rise up through David. And Jesus did just that. Then in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 22 and 23, God says through the prophet, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned. And I will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. How did God save us? How did God cleanse us? Well, through the turning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a messianic prophecy promising that of Christmas fulfilled in Jesus. Now, in that short period of time, we have surveyed 3,500 years of promises spoken time and time and time again. And do you know what each time this promise of Christmas was spoken, you know what it did in the hearts of, the, of God's people, the nation of Israel, the Jews? It gave them hope. Here they are in the prophets as a result of their sin, living in exile, but yet the promise that God one day will fulfill what he promised in the Garden of Eden gave them hope. Gave them hope that God was at work. But the Israelites got off track. And that brings us to point number two. We have the promise made, but then we have misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. While God's people knew very well that deliverance was coming, they had a tendency to shift their hope from being in God alone to being in other things. Let me give you a few examples of how over time, God's people have misplaced their hope. Abraham misplaced his hope. Remember, God promised him a son, Isaac, even in his old age. And Abraham grew weary, thinking that it was impossible for God to make good on this promise. And he took matters into his own hands and had an illegitimate son named Ishmael with his servant Hagar. What, what is that an example of? It's, it's an example of Abraham misplacing his hope, misplacing his trust. Remember when Moses led the Jews out of Egypt, all the miraculous things that they witnessed? The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of uh, fire by night. The parting of the Red Sea and them crossing on dry land, being rescued from the armies of Egypt. Then manna miraculously being sent from heaven, and then even water from a rock. Seeing those things, you would think that the Jews' uh, faith and their trust would be strengthened in God. But do you remember how they misplaced their hope? Remember, Moses went up on the mountain to receive instructions from God, and they got weary of waiting on Moses to return. And so what did they do? They fashioned a golden calf, 
And they shifted their worship of God to this idol, misplaced hope. Then when the Israelites grew weary of God being their king and, and being ruled by a committee of judges, they made a demand of Samuel. You all remember this? They demanded an earthly king. They looked at all the nations around them and said, see how they have an earthly king? We demand an earthly king. When God said, I want to be your king, they rejected that. They misplaced their hope in God and put it in a person, in an earthly king. From that point on, Israel cycled through periods of time of forgetting God and His laws. They trusted more on their own abilities and in their own ingenuities. And it ultimately landed them as being captives, taken and drugged to foreign lands, living in exile for many, many generations. What did they do? They misplaced their hope. Then when the focus returned to the law and the prophets and the words that the prophets were speaking about this, this Messiah, they began to believe in a political Messiah, one that would overthrow governments and establish freedom for the Jews once again. They lost track of a spiritual deliverer, you see, and began to believe in a political deliverer, so much so that they missed Jesus when he came. Misplaced hope. You know, the truth be told, we often misplace our hope too, don't we? In many ways, in our culture, in our times, we have this tendency to shift where our hope lies. We place our hope in our 401ks, in our jobs, in politics, and even in our freedoms. Beloved, hope cannot be found in things that are fleeting. Hope can only be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what we know about this is regardless of what happens in our culture, Jesus is on his throne. Jesus is in charge, and we should draw our hope not from the things of this world, but from the things of God. That is where our hope truly lies. And so this Christmas, let's leverage our hope in knowing that Jesus is on his throne. And so we've taken a look at the promise made We've seen all of those five promises made. We've taken a look at misplaced hope. But thirdly, I want to look at a future promise. A future promise. There is a tension presented in the Scriptures. It's a tension known as the already, but not yet. Already has God fulfilled the promise of a Messiah. He did so in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's another promise. There's, a, there's also the not yet. And God has made another promise for us today to hold on to, and that being the return of Christ. And the issuing of this promise, just like the first promise instilled hope in the people of God, the second promise, the second advent, the return of Christ instills hope within us today. We as believers in Jesus Christ don't live in fear of the return of Christ. We live in hopeful anticipation of the return of Christ. How can this be hopeful anticipation? Well, because when Jesus returns, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming to take rule and make what is wrong right in the perfection of the new heaven and the new earth. 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 illustrates this tension in which we now live, the already, the not yet. Verse 28 of Hebrews 9 says this, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that's the already, will appear a second time. That's the not yet. But look at the hope in the second coming. Not to deal with sin when he comes, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. While we enjoy salvation, and while we enjoy a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we still deal with the brokenness of this world. Do you feel it? When you survey all the things that are happening in and around our lives, we see it in broken families, broken belief systems, and broken lives. We feel it in sickness, in loss, and in death. We sense the brokenness of our world in war and violence and hatred. And while we have salvation, and while we have been delivered from our sin, praise God, we long for the ultimate rescue from the brokenness of this world, don't we? When Jesus returns, the future promise is that Jesus is coming again. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, paints a picture of this future promise. John says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Oh, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then the culmination of this is, is signed by the Lord himself. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, it says, He who testifies to these things, Jesus who testifies to those that promise, says, Surely I am coming soon. To which we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The future promise is what fills us with hope today. Anyone longing for that day? Anyone longing for the wrongs of this world to be righted? For sickness to be eliminated? For death to be no more? That's what happens with this fulfillment of this second promise, the second advent. This is the season known in the religious calendar as Advent, the anticipation of a coming king. The first advent was in Jesus in a major. The second advent is in Jesus coming to take victory and to claim victory once and for all. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. 
It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.